Hello and welcome to another episode of What Gets Captured on Film. My name is Dylan Paulson. I am your host. And if you didn't know, What Gets Captured on Film is a show about movies and movie news. Uh, and the hope is that you can learn something here or um, get a little bit of entertainment or, uh, you know, get caught up on whatever sort of entertainment movie news you are intrigued in. We only cover here movie news that is relevant to production of movies that um, are good. <laughs> um but that, in course, encapsulates a lot. I the only thing that I won't mention on the show uh, that doesn't relate or that is related to movies is anything that um, of a name that I don't recognize or that I don't know. But uh, I hope you'll see from the episodes and the things that we cover here that we cover almost anything that you could ever need. Um, so yeah, this episode and this and the show comes out every Wednesday at nine a.m. on your local. On 9 a.m. Eastern on your local uh, podcast feeds. It is on Spotify, Google Play, podcasts or whatever the thing is there, Apple Podcasts. And I also put up a YouTube uh, video version, um, but there's no video of me, sadly. You, you cannot see me. Unfortunate or potentially fortunate for you. Um, so the show, this episode will cover the news from November 3rd to November 9th. So I think we should just get right into it. So, um, that was weird. I won't do that again. So so let's get into some smaller stories that don't necessarily require uh, a story to be written about them. Um, so, but but still some things that I want to talk about in the first place. So uh, the first thing that we I think is um, relevant is, uh, so Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther, <clears throat> the first one is temporarily shutting down production due to Latita Wright uh, suffering an injury. She uh, apparently suffered... So this is all recording to The Hollywood Reporter, but this is going around. A lot of uh, people are reporting on this as well. So there might have been a statement made. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have something in my throat. Um, so Latita Wright now, who is the star of the movie... Um, her character, since Chadwick Boseman's very untimely, unfortunate, horrible death, um, she, her character is now taking the helm, taking the Black Panther name, and so she is the main character, uh, ostensibly. So, um, so she suffered an injury in August, it appears, and uh, they didn't. Marvel Studios, Disney didn't shut down production. As they waited for her to heal, they just went about filming around her, uh, you know, scenes that she wasn't in or maybe can fit her in later. But now what they have discovered is that they have filmed everything at this point, you know, since August, they've filmed everything that they could possibly do without her. So now production needs to shut down. They need to wait for her to recover. And... um and then filming will resume. So I'm going to look up real quick um, what the anticipated release date of this is. It says 2022 on IMDb. I don't know if there's a specific date. November 11th, 2022. So about a year from now. I don't think that that would get moved back unless this, um, unless her injury just goes on and on. And um, so we'll see on that front. I don't potentially think that 
they're going to miss that date or that date would get moved back. It might get rearranged for some other reasons. Um, or, you know, it might get blamed on some other reasons, but in reality, it is her injury. So I don't, I, you know, I don't really know how to feel about that. The more concerning thing is that they're filming a lot of the movie without her. If she's the main character and she, and they wind up filming a lot of scenes that she's in, but without her, potentially with a stand-in or, um, you know, other, other, you know, ways of filming, and then they just put her in later and film her scenes later and put her in, the, it's going to lose a lot of charm. The original Black Panther had a lot of, uh, I, I use this word a lot, but it had a lot of heart to it. There was a lot of good emotions, uh, you know, in the scenes and in the dialogue, and that comes through on set. And if your main character isn't there, if the number one on the call sheet isn't there, um, something feels off. So I hope that that doesn't come through. Uh, but Ryan Coogler's a capable director. He proved that with the first one, most definitely. So um, I hope it doesn't detract at all. I don't love Marvel movies. I won't, you know, blow smoke up uh, Marvel's ass. That's not what I'm here to do at all. But I did really like the first Black Panther. It stood out as one of the better Marvel movies on that upper end. In even one of the best standalone uh, superhero movies I've ever seen. Really good. So looking forward to that. Yeah, hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's well. I hope Latita Wright can recover soon. Um, yeah, and so okay, so let's move on to something else. The next uh, thing that I wanted to talk about. There's been a lot of you know this is in regard to Helena Hutchins' um, death, accidental, involuntary manslaughter. Um, on the set of Rust, there's a lot of people now coming out of the woodwork talking about this and that, and right now it's a lot of he said, she said, so what I'm doing on the show now is I am not going to talk anymore about the the uh, incident on set. I'm not going to talk about it anymore until more um, evidence, more police reports come out. I just don't, unless something is incredibly relevant, unless, you know, the director comes out, talks about it more, or, um, or you know, I, I just don't want to cover it, because right now it's just a lot of he said, she said, Alec Baldwin says this, and, you know, I just don't, I don't have room to cover all that. There's a lot of smaller stories going around with it. Um, if you are in interested in it, please, I implore you to do your research. Um, okay, the next thing that I wanted to talk about is the um, Spider-Man No Way Home has a new poster, and it uh, has, um, you know, go look it up. I'm sure you've seen it by now if you're listening. It's definitely made the rounds on the internet. Um, has Tom Holland Spider-Man in the forefront, has Doc Ock's, you know, tentacle arms, and then way in the background to the right, there's a... A uh, faint image of uh, Green Goblin. Um, and N No Way Home, if you're not caught up on this, is going to be a crossover movie containing confirmed Tobey Maguire and allegedly Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man as well. And in the trailer of No Way Home, uh, Alfred Molina, who was Doc Ock in, in Spider-Man 2, directed by Sam Raimi, he comes back in, in No Way Home. So... What people are saying is, does Green Goblin come back as well? Does, um, you know, what's his face? Uh, he was a really famous actor. 
Willem Dafoe. Does Willem Dafoe come back as Green Goblin? Because the Green Goblin looks in this, you know, he's he has the hang glider from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. He he um looks really similar to to what we know Green Goblin to look like from Sam Raimi. So, you know, I don't really know what to think about it other than let's just wait and see. I does it look does it look damningly similar to what we know from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? Of course it does. Does that mean he's going to be in the movie? Well, it would be a really shitty thing to do if they were to tease that and then Willem Dafoe wasn't in the movie. But I guess we'll just see. It's weird to put him on the poster, I think. I think, you know, yeah, it's weird to put him on the poster if he wasn't in the movie. So, you know, that's all I really got to say about that. Next thing I wanted to say is Netflix Netflix released uh, a trailer for Stranger Things Season 4. And I would have made the, turned this into a story, but um, I don't really... This is a movie podcast. I don't love to cover TV shows. I'm kind of ignorant on TV. I don't watch a lot of TV. I have a few shows a year that I'll probably get around to watching. Um, but I don't keep up with TV the way the same way I do that I keep up with movies. So I don't like covering things um, that I'm ignorant about. But I am not certainly not ignorant about Stranger Things. And uh, season four has been a long time coming, certainly. Um, production delays due to COVID and all the rest. So I'm intrigued to see what comes out of season four. The The first trailer, it looks interesting. I, I just really enjoy how Stranger Things with each season, they the writers, the Duffer brothers, I, I think are their names, if I remember correctly, will just gr- will age the kids, right? Because they're, they're getting older in real life. And they... S- they will make the stories more mature around the kids. Like their characters are growing up too. Like where is Mike? Where is Eleven? Two years from where we last saw them. And it's it's great. Watching the first episode of season three, just seeing these characters again and they're older and they have, and they're experiencing things that, you know, 16-year-olds experience instead of 12-year-olds, like when we first saw them, just seeing them age and grow up is is incredibly high quality. Um, and it's not something that a lot of... It's not something that you can really do in a movie, to be honest. I think that Stranger Things does it incredibly well. I... Yeah, I, I'm intrigued to where they, where they take the story. Uh, I'll talk about Stranger Things definitely as news comes out. I mean, it's a huge show. Um, and, uh, when I inevitably wind up watching it, um, I will cover it then as well. Let me look up real quick when the fourth season is going to come out. I don't know if it had a release date or not. I don't think it did. I think it just said the year and it was 2022. Um, but let me check real quick. There's season four. No, yeah, just 2022. Okay, so, you know, whenever that comes out, I will uh, watch it again. And I'm definitely going to, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch the first three seasons again, especially season three. I mean, if I don't get around to the first two seasons, that's fine, but I want to rewatch season three. It was, um, it was, it was amazing. It was so good. So um, more on that later. Um, Yeah, next thing. Uh, Steve McQueen is set to write, direct, and produce a film called Blitz, an original script that he's writing uh, from New Regency. 
which was the production studio that did 12 Years a Slave. Um, and that story is from Deadline. And this is a story that I didn't know where to put. I didn't know if I should write a story about it. Um, but that is really all there was to to the story. There's nothing really else to it. It's called Blitz. We don't really know what it's about. Steve McQueen is writing, directing, and producing it. And it's from New Regency. That's all we know. Um, so, I, And I didn't want to add that to the wrap-up because Steve McQueen is too high quality for the wrap-up. So, um, so yeah, th there it is. Blitz. It's coming. And it's coming from New Regency. And um, cool. That's, I, I don't really know what else to say about that. Okay, also from Deadline, um, Cello is a movie starring... It's a horror movie shot in Saudi Arabia starring Jeremy Irons and Tobin Bell, and it had a first look release. So um, let me look at some pictures. Yeah, and it's just a picture of the, of the two actors. Um... A few pictures. There's a behind-the-scenes picture, too. I mean, look it up if you're interested. It seems like an old-timey, old-English movie. It's um, shot in Saudi Saudi Arabia, like I said, and, and the Czech Republic. Darren Lynn Bowsman is directing. Um, yeah, I don't really—there's uh, not too much to, to talk about there. First look is—I don't really know why they do first look, to be honest. It's odd, but yeah, that's um, that's it. Not much else to say there, and that's all the smaller news stories I wanted to get into. So before we get into the big news stories and all the rest, I wanted to talk about what I was watching this week. So the big thing that I've been watching... Well, okay, first, I should get it out of the way if you didn't listen to the episode last week. Um, I got in a car accident. Long story short, everyone's okay, uh, but I should, due to the nature of the damage on my car, I should not be spending amounts of money that are unnecessary. So I'm limiting the amount that I go to the movies or pay for movies in the time being, which is quite unfortunate for the show, I should say. But, um, so the m number one movie that I've been wanting to watch for the past few weeks, and it kind of is paining me that I can't see it, is uh, The Last Night in Soho. Written and directed by Edgar Wright. Um, but last week, he announced on his Twitter that the documentary that he did also this year, uh, The Sparks Brothers, was on Netflix in U.S. Just surprise drop on Netflix. So instead of watching his newest movie in theaters, I watched the documentary that I hadn't seen yet either. So I'm going to talk about it now. But in s So Edgar Wright is very active on Twitter, and I follow him on Twitter, and he says that we should go into the Sparks Brothers blindly. And there definitely is something to that. Um, if you like music and music history, if you are a fan of rock music, classic rock, I think you should go into the Sparks Brothers blind. Um, but if you need, if you don't, you know... If you're just an Edgar Wright fan, or um, or if you're not an Edgar Wright fan, I should say, or you're not a huge music person, you like some documentaries, um, I'm going to talk about the movie a little bit in depth, but I definitely will not spoil anything. And I think that there certainly are some things that you can, that you should know about the movie if you're not sold on it, that, that uh, might sell you on it. 
Um, so overall, I really liked it. Uh, so it's called the Sparks Brothers, and it's about this band called Sparks. And it's two brothers that um, one will play piano and write the music for, and the other one sings. And they have been performing live and releasing albums every few years for the past 30, 40 years. They started in the late 60s, and they've just been releasing music. They never really found a following in the U.S. in their early days, so they started releasing music in uh, Europe. They became known as a European band when they were both born in California, ironically, and then they moved back to the U.S. and started releasing albums here again. So their history is kind of funny in that way. Uh, Their music is very good. Um, undoubtedly very, very good, very catchy, and lyrically it's complex and humorous. Um, and the documentary style itself is very humorous and and um, upbeat and light, and it's fun. And learning about these two interesting brothers as characters and as people is really intriguing, and it's fun to watch. It's a good documentary, um, there, the, you know, it's, it's great. I, so I'll say that it's great. It is, I mean, you should watch it. You should, it's long. It's a little long, two hours, 20 minutes. So that, so let's talk about some things I didn't like about it because there's really not much. Um, so the movie opens or the documentary, I should say, opens with a, uh, very upbeat, very stylized tone that Edgar Wright is kind of known for. That stylized tone holds for maybe 20 minutes. And then it kind of, editing-wise, gears into a normal uh, run-of-the-mill documentary. Um, but it still has some some stylized flair to it just because of the subject matter, just because of these two brothers are very interesting people. But editing-wise, and the way we know Edgar Wright to direct, it's not... This uh, it's not um, it doesn't hold the, those first fifteen minutes. They don't hold the the whole way of the film. They're in the beginning and they're in the end, and the rest of the movie feels like uh, just a regular documentary of a very interesting subject matter. I wouldn't have known that it was directed by Edgar Wright um, if it weren't for those first twenty minutes. So that's one thing I didn't like. Um, but even then, even the whole middle of the movie is very fun and intriguing. I was along for the ride. Um, and that I will say is the main thing, uh, that detracts from the movie. The other thing I'll say is that the music is not for everyone. If you don't, the, the band that I would most liken to Sparks to their music in their heyday is Queen. So if you are not a fan of the style or the sound of Queen just because of uh, the main singer's voice, uh, you know, that in music, the, the lead singer's voice brings a lot of style and flair to the, to the music. So for no other reason than that, if you don't like Freddie Mercury's voice, you are not going to be interested in this music. So there, that's going to take away a lot of the intrigue of the of the band Sparks. So that's that. Um, so that's pretty much all I need to say. 
Yeah, so the other thing that I've been watching is Ted Lasso Season 2. I have gotten a little farther into this. Um, my opinion has kind of shifted. I used to, I, when I first started watching, I thought it was um, not good. Second season, not good. Um, it's kind of shifted. I'm kind of getting there. I'm kind of falling for it a little bit again. Um, and I'll talk about it more when the season is over. But the main question that I have for myself, this is a, you know, theoretical question is, is season one, is season one really as good as I remember it to be? Or was it just how novel it was? And a lot of sequels will fall into this hole of, yeah, it was good, but it's not as good as the first one. Uh, and is the first one, you know, in a in a duo of movies, is the first one better just because we hadn't seen it before? And now that we've seen it, the second one needs to be so much better in order to capture our hearts again, our imagination, you know, whatever that may be. And Ted Lasso, it's definitely capture our hearts, uh, make us laugh, you know, make us care about these characters. And to be honest, I think that regardless of that, regardless of whatever season one did, I think season two's writing is much weaker. Um, and so, and a few other things that I'll talk about uh, when I finish the season. I'm a, I'm at episode seven out of ten, maybe. So uh, more to more to talk about that next week. Uh, the next thing um, is Arrested Development. I had been watching this with my girlfriend, and we have been watching uh, on and off for you know this is just one of the shows that you watch with your significant other, um, and you know we had been watching uh it's always sunny we watched community we watched uh the office um and you know we start certain shows so we were on and off with arrested development uh which is i have seen before she had not and it's it is truly one of my favorite shows i think it might be my favorite show of all time it's it's incredibly witty the the writing just spans years uh, and we okay for so for the record we only watch seasons one through three. I've seen seasons four and five before. Um, I saw season five like immediately when it came out, and it okay. So the first three seasons of Arrested Development are top tier television, like some of the best television that I've ever seen, up there with Seinfeld. Maybe oh wow, I didn't even think about Seinfeld. Maybe Seinfeld's my favorite show. Ah, whatever, it doesn't matter. But all star cast. Um, truly, truly all-star cast and, um, all-star acting, the camaraderie amongst the actors on set is, is vivid. Um, the, the writing is so strong. Every little throwaway joke, every, there's so much detail in the writing and in the set design and in everything. There's so much good there. And... Even if the show wasn't as detailed and even if the story wasn't interesting, the show is drop-dead hilariously funny. It is so funny. And part of that is attributed to the actors. I mean, Jason Bateman's great. I don't think he's uh, the, the necessarily the funniest part of the show, but he carries the show on his back. I mean, as, as the straight man to his whole uh, incredibly strange family. I think... Will Arnett as Job Bluth is probably the crux of comedy on the show. 
Uh, and, you know, everyone in the family has their own spice to, if you will, to how, how you know, what they bring to the table of how funny or intriguing they are. But I think Will Arnett is probably the top tier, um, you know, top tier spice in the in the mixture that makes Arrested Development um, a funny show. And as the show gets on, it starts good in season one, um, I think, at least. I, I mean, the pilot won an Emmy for Best Directing. The f- Famously, the, um, what are they called? The Russo Brothers, uh, who are known now for the Marvel movies and for Community. Everyone loves Community now. They started here. They started with Arrested Development, and they won an Emmy for Best Directors. Or, or uh, maybe it was just Anthony, or maybe it was just Joe. I, I forget, but they won an Emmy for Best Director for the pilot. So it started off an incredibly strong show. And uh, peer pressure in season one was the it's the name of the episode. I think it's season or episode seven or episode nine or something like that was the episode that got me hooked on the show. And everything after that, as the show goes on. There are just more and more callbacks to old jokes that happen and um, odd characters that come in, blah, 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 and Gene Parmesan. And and um, there are more inside jokes. You know how Tobias just refuses to accept that everyone know, everyone thinks he's gay. Um, he just refuses acceptance or ad- admittance of it and... Um, how Oscar Bluth is, um, oh, what's his, is Buster's father. Everyone ref- just refuses to admit it, but everyone knows it. You know, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of charm to the show. Um, and I could go off. I could go on about the show for forever because it, it is really near and dear to my heart. Um, but if you haven't seen it, I highly think you should watch it. It's on Netflix and it'll probably be on Netflix forever. Um, it's because Netflix funded, it was Netflix funded season four of Arrested Development. And it was one of the first investments in original, uh, content that Netflix ever did. Um, it was right around the time of House of Cards, right around the time of Orange is the New Black. Arrested Development season four was like right there in that charge when they brought all the original actors back and did a full season of the show. Um, and if you're going to watch... Arrested Development, and you're going to go through to season four, you should not watch what's on Netflix, uh, what just auto plays on Netflix. The, the good, because they made Arrested Development season four, and then they, they re-edited all the, all the episodes so that they fit together intermittently. But the problem is that they turned 13 episodes into 22 episodes and there's almost no new content. There's just a lot of editing. So you see a lot of the same things over and over again. It's incredibly repetitive. If you want to watch season four, this is kind of high maintenance. But you'll see. If you start to autoplay Arrested Devel- Development season four, you'll see after the second episode, you are just seeing the same things over and over again. It's like that the whole season. I sat through it. It never changes. It's like that the whole season. You should watch... You should go into, uh, there's a little section in um, on Arrested Development, the page. There's a little section called Trailers and More, or like Extras or something. And it has the original cut of Season 4 on Netflix. You should watch the episodes that way. They're like 40 minutes each. They're each, and there's like 13 or so episodes. 
Um, that is the way you should watch season four. And then you can go back to autoplay season five because it doesn't really matter because that season is not uh, not great. There are moments in season four and five that are great. There are moments of original Arrested Development feel, heart, comedy. They are there, uh, but you have to sit through a lot of nonsense to get there. And some nonsense might just ruin the first three seasons for you. So you got to weigh that if you want to get through it. Um, the other thing that I have on here, uh, TV show-wise, is Ash vs. Evil Dead, but I think I am just going to take that off the shelf. I don't think that I'm going to get around to it. I think the next time um, that I wind up getting in the mood to watch the Evil Dead trilogy, it might spark something in me and I might go back to it, but I think I'm going to take Ash vs. Evil Dead off this list. I think it is just not intriguing. I think it lost a lot of good that the movies did, which is a shame. And um, even the charm of Bruce Campbell as Ash, I think, just cannot bring me to continue the, the show. I, I got through half of season two. I'm like halfway through the show. I just, I can't do it anymore. I just don't think the show is all that interesting, which is a shame. But that is everything that I've been watching this week. Um, so let's get into the biggest news stories of the week. Number one, in an interview with Deadline, IMAX CEO Rich Gelfond shares that IMAX and Disney have entered a deal to bring higher quality enhanced versions of films to Disney+. Plus. Called IMAX Enhanced, these new versions of 13 Marvel films will show 26% more of the film image on home screen screens via streaming. The aspect ratio is 1.90 to 1, with original aspect ratio still available on Disney+. And the enhanced versions of these films will be available for streaming starting this Friday. Uh, Friday, the date is uh, November 12th. Friday, November 12th. Gelfond says, quote, To me, it enhances the notion that streaming and the IMAX theatrical experience are complementary. It's not either or. A lot of fans want to experience both. Disney is giving the fans what they want, the most immersive viewing experience throughout the life of a Marvel Studios film, from exclusive theatrical release to the library at home, end quote. There, this is no doubt a great way to view enhanced versions of films we already know, but whether or not this deal could expand in the future and cannibalize movie theater experience is tough to tell. Disney Plus currently has 116 million active users as of July 2021. So... Um, you know, however you want to look at this, this could be good news or bad news for what kind of viewer that you are. Um, to be honest, I think that it's kind of ridiculous that, uh, Disney is bringing these 4k enhanced, uh, versions of the movies to, to streaming when the physical versions aren't even available. You can't buy a physical, uh, version of Iron Man or, um, Guardians of the Galaxy that has an aspect ratio of 1.90 to 1. Um, which is the IMAX a aspect ratio. Um, so I think they should have done that. I think they should have done that before this. They would have made more money, I think, um, because people, well, it's not that they're making, they would have made more money, but they are leaving money on the table because collectors want this stuff. And it's not like it's just like physical media collectors l like me that will buy the odd Blu-ray at the, you know, local whatever, you know, Target or whatever. But 
these are Marvel movies. People want to have these on their shelves and they want to see the best possible versions. There are certainly, you know, 116 million active users. That's a lot. And that's from July too. That could have gone up or could have gone down. It's probably gone up. Um, but, you know, these are Marvel movies. I mean, this is the, as far as audience retention goes, this is the, these are the cream of the crop. There's, I, I mean, to, uh, you know, to hold the audience's attention through 23 movies, uh, n no series has ever done that. James Bond can't even pull that kind of number. You know, Marvel is the biggest thing, is the biggest movie franchise of all time, bar none. So you're leaving money on the table without with not doing this to physical. And I think that they might be doing it purposefully because they they don't want people to spend the $20 to get the 4K version with the enhanced aspect ratio, they want your $5 a month. And they want you to be an active user of Disney+. Plus. And I think um, I think they're doing that on purpose, which is a shame. And to be honest, like, how many of the 116 million active users have the internet bandwidth and a 4K TV and a 4K streaming platform that can actually stream this stuff. You know, who is the audience for this? You know, the the IMAX versions are out there and certain filmmakers will give you the IMAX version when you know however it's shot on 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 film, they'll give you that enhanced aspect ratio on the physical version. Um, you know, the famously uh The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises physical versions It'll switch back and forth aspect ratios in the shots that are shot on IMAX cameras and the shots that are not. It'll be clearly widescreen and then it'll fill the screen with the enhanced IMAX aspect ratio um, on the physical version. So you can tell which scenes, you can so obviously tell which scenes are filmed on 35 millimeter or filmed digitally and filmed with an IMAX, with an IMAX camera. So... Yeah, so so yeah, so there's that. I don't know why I brought up the Dark Knight, but that's just my question: is who is the audience for this? And I don't think they really know. I think what they want to do is in the um, they want to set up a a service. A um, they want to set up Disney Plus to to be this area that so that if movie theaters ever go away again they have the best possible platform to put all of the content that they need, right? They experimented with having their active users pay for movies that are in theaters. They experimented with, um, and now they're experimenting with bringing, you know, IMAX quality movies to streaming. I think that that's potentially where the future could go with streaming is to have 4K movies stream but I don't think it's reliable at the moment. Um, I think this is laying the groundwork for bad bad stuff for, for how I view movies. And how I view movies is on um, in theaters and on physical media. I don't really like to stream things because you're getting the worst possible quality that you can. And it's totally uh, inconsistent and it's totally reliant on your internet connection. And uh, who, whatever big corporation has the license 
to, to give it to you, to give the movie to you. So I could watch Training Day on Netflix or I could watch it on my Blu-ray player whenever I want. Um, and I'm not at the mercy of Netflix, right? So, so yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't like any news story that gives more power to streaming services. But the reality is that every movie production studio has their own streaming service. But like I said, and like I've been saying in a, in a few shows, um, and I'll say this in almost every show, is that movie theaters, I truly believe, aren't going anywhere because of how much money they can make. And when you have a movie that's playing exclusively, let's say you have the biggest, newest Marvel movie that releases exclusively in movie theaters, not on Disney Plus at the same time, same date, People want to go see it and people want to spend their money in it and they want to make a, some sort of social interaction about it, you know, invite your friends or your girlfriend, significant other, whatever. And they want to spend spend money at the movies and they want to make a night out of it and want to buy popcorn. And it becomes a story. It becomes a night out instead of, um, you know, I watched the thing on Disney Plus in my house the other day. You know, I went to the movies and I got a popcorn and I interacted with this person and the and the movie was like this, and the crowd was like this, and it's it's just different. And we've seen that even with movies that have released day and date with their respective streaming services, that people will still go pay money for the for the theater. So that I, I don't think that theaters are going anywhere now, but I am weary about what's going to happen in the in the near future within the next few years um this could be bad news but as of right now we don't really know so let's move on uh number two taika waititi is set to direct the inkle based on the 1970s french graphic novel series of the same not same name by alejandro jodorowsky the script is set to be penned by uh, Jermaine Clement and Peter Warren. Clement is previously known for working on Waititi on What We Do in the Shadows, and Warren is a relatively unknown writer. Waititi is known for writing and directing Hunt for the Wilder People and Jojo Rabbit, and is probably most known for directing Thor Ragnarok and the upcoming Thor Love and Thunder. The Inkle currently has no known release date, stars, or production studio attached. Uh, so that means that the movie is incredibly far out. But cool that we have some, uh, you know, YTD is, you know, setting up his uh, his vision for what he's going to do after uh, the new Thor movie comes out. And so this movie's French, uh, the Inkles, French graphic novel series. Um, so, you know, YTD is used to, with the two Thor movies, doing... Uh, adapting uh, screenplays or adapting stories into movies. I like him because he, I think he has a really calming comedic demeanor about him. Uh, if you've ever seen an interview with him, he's just cracking jokes the whole time. He's very funny. And that sort of energy comes through in his movies through and through. Even in big movies, Thor Ragnarok is is stylized like him. It is just him in a movie. It's he's so it's so funny. Even Jojo Rabbit is uh, takes place in not Nazi occupied Germany, 
and is incredibly funny. And Serene and, um, like I, like I always say, has a lot of heart. Uh, you know, Jojo Rabbit is, is a great movie. Um, so I'm looking forward to whatever Waititi has planned. I think Thor Ragnarok is, it lacks, I think, I, I mean, it's great. Jojo Rabbit is the peak of, of hit of Waititi's filmmaking without a doubt. I mean, because you have a lot of comedy that draws you into the, the movie, but ultimately what the story is about is a German boy falls in love with a Jew in, in Nazi, Nazi occupied Germany. And that story is heavy. And so there's a lot there. Um, and so the emotional connection is real and I don't think he, with the comedy of the movie, ever downplays the situations that are that the that the characters are written into. Um, like Thor Ragnarok is very funny, but the the emotional connection of the movie is kind of dull and kind of flat. Uh, it's just a funny movie. It's just fun to sit through, uh, which you know you could want that out of a Marvel movie. But I think a lot of people will put uh, like Avengers Endgame up with the best Marvel movies because there's a real emotional connection there. I think Avengers, or sorry, Captain America Civil War is probably the best Marvel movie because that emotional connection between Iron Man and Captain America is very real. Um, And as fun as it is to sit through the rest of the movie, uh, that emotional core of the movie is really strong. So, um, So I hope... That the Inkle, which I have no idea what it what the story is even about. I have no clue. Um, I hope that it retains a lot of what YTD is known for, which is uh, this comedy, uh, you know, 10 jokes a second. Yeah, that's an exaggeration, but um, I, while also having some sort of real emotional core to the movie. Um, and I, I hope it does. He, I, you know, Jojo Rabbit was amazing. Um, yeah. So that's all we can really say about that until more is announced for it. But uh, let's move on. Number three is Swan Song, an upcoming film from Oscar-winning short film director Benjamin Cleary dropped a trailer this week via Apple TV Plus's official YouTube page. The film stars Mahershala Ali and Naomi Harris with Benjamin Cleary also writing the script. The film is set to release on Apple TV Plus on December 17th, 2021. Um, I only saw the news story for this, uh, but I, you know, I saw the trailer drop, but I didn't actually, I have not seen this trailer at all. Uh, sometimes I will watch, you know, whatever trailer pops up because I'll be interested and intrigued in the movie. I haven't seen this trailer at all, so I, I, um, I'm going to go watch it and I'll be right back. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good trailer, um, you know, does what it needs to do, sets up the tone of the movie and gets me intrigued. Um, I'm not necessarily excited about the trailer, but what I am really excited for is to watch this movie. I think it's going, I think it's going to be incredible. Um, I'm really excited to see Benjamin Cleary. This is his, um, feature film debut. He won an Academy award for, um, a short film that he made. Um, I'll look it up in a sec, but, um, Herschel Ali is also there. Um, and he's two-time Oscar winner for uh, Moonlight and for Green Book. Uh, so there's just a lot there. Glenn Close is also there. Um, Aquafina is there. I didn't even 
notice her uh, in the in the trailer really until she was pointed out. I don't really know what she looks like. Wave is the name of the uh, short film. Benjamin Cleary won an Oscar for. So, you know, there's a lot here. Um, the emotional connection of the movie seems incredibly strong. It seems like one of these movies that's going to question what uh, what life is about. You know, what what do people live for? You know, what's the point? Um, I've said for years, I don't think I've said this on the show yet, but I've said for years that in my own life, I view movies as my own type of religion to offer certain aspects into why we're here, into certain aspects of humanity that are worth questioning. What is happiness? You know, why, what, what makes people happy? Why is there a search for happiness? And I hope that this is one of those movies that, um, pursues that. It seems like it will. It's called Swan Song and it seems like Mahershala Ali's character, um, is dying. So, um, it's really intriguing that, you know, the trailer does the trailer, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how exciting the movie's going to be. I don't know what they have to work with, but the trailer is not great. But the the movie is incredibly um, intriguing to me. Not for the... Uh, it has like some sort of like sci-fi aspect to it, and that's not even why I'm intrigued by it. I'm, I'm intrigued by the tone. The, uh, the, the What seems like is going to be the theme of the movie, which is, um, you know, questioning what life is about. I love that. I want to see that. I think that that's going to be a, a movie that um, that rocks the, uh, the the Academy the the excuse me the award season. I think it's going to rock the award season, and I can't wait. I'm happy that I have Apple TV Plus for uh, for this movie. I really am. Um, I can't wait. To be honest, I really really can't wait. I just you just witnessed in real time, listener. You just witnessed me get incredibly excited about a movie that I had not. I, that was not even on my radar. And now that's one of the highly anticipated movies of the season. You, you just witnessed it live, viewer. So, um, or listener, I should say. Okay. Last thing, number four. Smaller story here. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is in final talks to star as the controversial cultist Jim Jones in MGM's new mo- movie about the leader, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The film was produced by DiCaprio and Jennifer Davison through uh, Appian Way and is written by Scott Rosenberg, most recently responsible for writing the new Jumanji films, who will also produce. No word as of yet who will direct the project or when we will see it come to fruition. Uh, That's it. Uh, Big, you know, just a big story because DiCaprio doesn't uh, choose his scripts with any sort of, um, you know, he doesn't choose projects willy-nilly. You know, he comes into, he reads the script and he chooses projects decisively. So... That's pretty much the only reason why I'm looking forward to this. If it was just Scott Rosenberg that was involved, um, he directed or he wrote Venom and he's writing the Jumanji films. Um, I don't care for him at all, to be honest. But, you know, worse writers have um, made good movies in their career. So I'm not going to I'm not going to judge him for that. If DiCaprio thinks it's OK and DiCaprio's on board to produce it as well. So. He has some sort of financial stake in this, most definitely. 
Um, but I also think that he, you know, when you're Leonardo DiCaprio and you know you're one of the biggest actors in the world, you know that just your face in a movie poster, your name attached to the movie is going to produce more buzz than that movie would have ever had otherwise. So even though he's producing and it has a financial stake, him starring in the movie is just going to have him make his make his money back, whatever he uh, puts into it. So, um, you know, we'll see. I mean... Well, yeah, we'll see. Uh, that's really all I can say. We will see. And I'm intrigued to see who is going to direct. That is going to be a big factor, too. Um, okay, so let's get into the wrap-up. A lot of small stories here. Um, for a slow week, a lot of, you know, pretty big wrap-up. So here we go. Hollywood Reporter reports that Martin Scorsese becomes the executive producer of Evolution, the new movie from Pieces of a Woman director Cornell Mandrusco. Uh, South Africa chooses... Uh, Barricat for its Oscar submission. Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Grande shared on their Instagrams that they are going to be uh, the two main leads of the movie adaptation of Wicked, directed by John M. Chu, who is of um, Crazy Rich Asians fame. According to director David Herney, Mel Gibson and Mason Thames are set to star in upcoming action thriller The Black Phone. Hollywood Reporter reports that there is a biopic in the works about Italian director Roberto Cavalli. Uh, the, the Hollywood Reporter reports that uh, Ridley Scott's Scott Fee Production House is teaming with Amazon to produce a film about the poet and lawyer Reginald Dwayne Betts. Sophia Butella is set to star in Zack Snyder's next Netflix en endeavor, Rebel Moon. Uh, coming from AFM, uh, the American film market, which I mentioned last week. Not a lot of big things to come out, but this is one. Uh, Nicole Hall of Center's uh, Beth and Don, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, goes to A24, who will distribute the movie. A Lucasfilm representative spoke to reporters this week that a member of the of the Indiana Jones film crew suddenly died. His name was Nick Kupak. He was 54. He was a grip. Sad, sad news there. According to Deadline, Robert Greenwald is currently in production on a documentary of activist Abby Hoffman, uh, the character that Sacha Baron Cohen played in uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 last year. According to Deadline, Gail Gadot is slated to play the Evil Queen in Disney's live-action remake of Snow White. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Korean disaster film Emergency Declaration will get a U.S. theatrical release in 2022. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Ben Kingsley, Patti LuPone, uh, Rob Delaney, Rachel Bloom, and Mark Heap have all been cast in Paul Feig's upcoming uh, young adult adaptation uh, or adaptation of the young adult novel, The School for Good and Evil. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Patty Jenkins, known for directing Wonder Woman, had her Star Wars movie titled Rogue Squadron delayed to December 22nd, 2023 due to Jenkins scheduling conflicts, which is most likely to start production of Cleopatra. That last little segment about Cleopatra is... Not news per se, but it is uh, conjecture. That's probably why Rogue Squadron was delayed, so that she could start work on Cleopatra, which is going to be. I'm so excited for Cleopatra to see what she could do with Wonder Woman to make such an empowering movie. I I'm really excited to see what she could do with Cleopatra. Next, uh, Philip K. Dick, author of the novel Blade Runner was adapted from, has another novel called uh, Vulcan's Hammer. Uh, that will be adapted by author, uh, writer Francis Lawrence. Uh, Regina Hall is set to star alongside Robert De Niro in the sequel to 1988's Midnight Run. Deadline reports that Channing 
Tatum and Tom Hardy are in negotiations to star an Afghanistan evacuation film written by George Nolfi. And that is all the news this week. Okay, let's get into what's coming to theaters this weekend. Um, not too much, but uh, yeah. Here we go. Belfast. A young boy and his working working class family experienced the tumultuous late 1960s, directed by Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh, starring Jude Hill, Louis uh, McCaskey. Uh, uh, yeah, some names I can't pronounce. I don't want to butcher them. Um, I think Kenneth Branagh also is a star in the movie, but he's not listed there. Um, yeah. Next is Clifford the Big Red Dog. A young girl's love for a tiny puppy named Clifford makes the dog grow to an enormous size. Directed by Walt Becker, starring Darby Camp, uh, Jack Whitehall, Isaac Wang, and John Cleese, uh, funnily enough. Apex. Five elite hunters pay to hunt down a man on a deserted island only to find themselves becoming the prey. Directed by Edward Drake, uh, starring Neil McDonough, uh, McDonough, McDonough, uh, Bruce Willis, Corey Large, and Alexia Fast, or Alexia uh, Fast. Night Riders. A mother joins an underground band of vigilantes to try to rescue her daughter from a state-run institution. Directed by Dennis Golette. Um, and I can't pronounce any of those stars. Amanda Plummer's in it. That's interesting. Okay, so uh, if you were to go to watch... To, to go to theaters and you were to pick a movie out of this list to watch, um, you know, if, if you got kids, I would say go see Clifford the Big Red Dog. I'm sure they would love it. I loved that show as a kid and the book series, I think it was too. It's, my memory's kind of hazy of that time. That was when I was really young, like two to three years old. Belfast is interesting. There was definitely some press around it. Jude Hill as a young Kenneth Branagh is getting a lot of praise. So that could be interesting. Um, but to be honest, I would say, you know, go back, watch Dune, watch, um, what's it called? Last Night in Soho, watch the Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch, or not go to movie theaters this week and wait till, uh, uh, next week. I think there's a big movie coming out. I don't want to spoil it for myself next week, but, um, I'm just going to take a quick peek. Ghostbusters is next week. Um, House of Gucci is on the 26th. Licorice Pizza is on the 26th. Resident Evil is also on the 26th. So there's a lot more coming this month. Um, it might just be worth it to wait. So Ghostbusters Afterlife has a 61 on Metascore. That's not as good as I wanted it to be. Okay, well, anyway, we'll talk about all that and more next week. But um, yeah, that's all I have for you this week. My name is Dylan Paulson. This was what gets captured on film. Uh, new episodes up every Wednesday at 9 a.m. On YouTube, they'll be up at noon. Um, yeah, just, you know, spread the word. If you like the show, spread it around. Um, I would love to get some audience interaction in here as well. Maybe you could, uh, I'm toying with the idea of maybe emailing me to ask questions and I'll read them aloud and answer them on the show. I want to get a little more uh, content to the show. It's a little short on the shorter side. So um, I'm going to eat those words next week, um, allegedly. So, you know, we'll see. So anyway, yeah, thanks for listening in. Hope everyone stays safe out there and um, keep on watching. I gotta have a new sort of catchphrase to end the show and I don't really have anything to just like definitively end it. You know, keep on watching, but that's, um, I don't know, stay safe or, uh, you know, be good and and all that. All right, goodbye. <laughs>